Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, and this is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, we're going to be visiting with the dynamic deacon, Harold Burke Sivers, about some of his inspiring talks in the book Ignite, Read the Bible Like Never Before, and also Deacon Harold will be our keynote speaker for our benefit dinner, so we're all excited about that. We want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn Bryan College Station, and also welcome our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco. How is everybody this morning? We have... You forgot about 107.9 KINF in Palestine. Palestine. Good morning to you all. Last but not least, Palestine, I'm, I'm looking out for you. Don't worry. <laughs> That's that is his main job is to make sure that I get everything correct, which is you know he's not even able to keep up with that. Because I'm not able to keep up with myself. First of all, good morning, uh, Deacon. How you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? And we also have our general manager with us. Well, good morning, actually, Dennis. Good morning, everyone. This is Dennis Mock. I'm very happy to be here, and uh, on a nice cloudy day here in Bryan College Station. But I, I imagine that. Uh, this type of a day won't be affecting our signal too much. So uh, thank you for listening. And we're very grateful to uh, be serving you in the Lord through Red Sea Catholic Radio. And a reminder, the Red Sea Roundup always comes to you live unless we record it. So this morning we are live. So if you have something that you need to tell us or something that you want to ask us or just Comment on our phone number is 85LOVERED-C. That's 855-683-7332. We always look forward to listening to our callers so that we can get input from you all and what's going on. Indeed. Well, uh, before we get into our normal programming, I did want to touch on the tragedy in Las Vegas. This is one of the things that is getting far too frequent that we have to talk about a tragedy in our country. But I think one thing we need to remember is that in these tragedies, so often we see the true grace of the individuals that look out for other people. And while we pray for those that have lost their lives, while we pray for the recovery of those that are injured, and some of them are critically injured, we also pray for those people that in that midst of that tragedy risk their own lives to pull others out, to carry them to the hospitals, mm-hmm. to stop the bleeding, to do things that is not normal for them. But it's normal for us as human beings because we are created in the image and likeness of God. And in, when it comes down to it, so often we respond with love. So I ask everyone to offer up their prayers for all those affected and also to pray that these sort of things stop happening. And let's pray also, according to God's Jesus' command, Let's pray for God's mercy on the soul of the man who perpetrated this horrible violence as well, who took his own life. Yes. We will remit him to God's grace and let God deal with that. 
Well, a couple of things coming up in our area. Uh, I wanted to remind everyone of the Family Rosary Crusade. Uh, Last week, uh, Judy Como talked about this. Uh, It's going to be October 21st at Bomber Stadium in Bryan. They're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the apparitions at Fatima. They're going to have a uh, procession, the crowning of Our Lady, and they're going to pray a living rosary. And uh, if you have any questions or would like to help out, I'm sure they can use help. So uh, call 979-693-6994 if you would want to be part of that and you need information or if you want to help. Also, I want to... Something big going on at uh, St. Anthony's that same week, Oh, yes. Um, Wednesday, October 18th. St. Anthony's will be receiving a first-class relic of St. Anthony of Padua. And um, the bishop will be there at 6 p.m. for the Mass to receive the relic and officially place it in its reliquary and put it in the side altar where it will be permanently placed. And I thought one thing that would be helpful is perhaps talk a little bit about what the deal is with relics. Yeah, what are, what is the deal with relics, Deacon Mike? Well, relics are a reminder that we do not think of life as being just here on earth. For us as Christians, life is eternal. And especially when we look back at the early church, this became clear when some of the saints started dying. And... Um, the church from the very beginning, especially when they were saying masses in the catacombs, would use some of the ossuaries, the places where the bones were kept as altars. And there are still inscriptions in the walls that describe this. But it was a constant reminder that the people may have died, but they haven't left us. That they're still able to pray for us and to pray with us. And so the relics, a constant reminder that we're praying with these people and that they're praying for us. And so for many, many years, altars in Catholic churches have had a relic in a relic stone placed in the middle of the altar. And in some instances, uh, the churches have had a first-class relic of a special saint, and like in, for St. Anthony, for us, that, of course, would be our patron saint, St. Anthony of Padua, have had the ability to have that saint physically present in a small way through a relic to remind us again that we are a communion of saints. All of us are called to be saints. And so I think we need to always remember that we're not worshiping bones or flesh. What we're doing is saying that we believe in eternal life. And that's all we're basically saying with the relic, that we are looking forward to the hope that God gives us. Yeah, and also I would add that, now I'm a good Catholic, so I don't have it down to chapter and verse, but there's in Second Kings, there's the story of the, the man's body who's being uh, transported by some of his friends and they get attacked by some bandits and he they dump his body into an open grave and it happens to be the, the open grave of the prophet Elijah and his the him touching the the body of that holy man 
he's brought back to life. So there's a biblical uh, ground for our veneration of relics and our confidence in the miraculous power of the remains of holy people. Yes, uh, this has been, as you mentioned, all the way from Book of Kings, the constant belief of the church that our bodies and souls are a unit. They may be separated for a time after death, but they will be reunited, and we always need to give reverence to that. And what about all our Protestant listeners, Deacon Mike, that are saying, why are you worshiping saints? Well, again, we're not worshiping those saints. We're remembering that God has given us hope, that our life is not temporary but permanent, that if we trust in God's grace, that we too will be saints. And uh, this is just a reminder that those people that have managed to get it right are worth remembering. And as the book of Revelation tells us, it is the holy ones in heaven who take our prayers to God in those bowls of incense. So we just recognize in gratitude that they are praying for us. And so we ask for them to do, continue doing that through their intercessions. So that's what we're doing when we refer to this as veneration. Exactly. We're not worshiping, we're respecting. And it's no different from having a picture of your grandmother on your mantle. I don't know of anybody that venerates their grandmother knowingly, but a lot of times your grandmother was special and you still think of her as such when you see that picture and that's all we're doing with relics. People used to keep a lock of hair of a loved one who was at a distance or yes. perhaps deceased. I keep my grandfather's hairbrush that he that was passed down to me. It, it's it's similar to the, some of those practices in our everyday lives. Yes. Yes. Uh, our faith life is an expression of our life, and many of the things that we have in our ordinary everyday life is maintained in a more symbolic way in our faith life, and it's always reminded to point us towards holiness. You know, I was wondering, since we don't know for sure if your grandfather is in heaven, because he hasn't been declared a saint, Sure, but I'm, I think it gives us confidence that he quite possibly is there because you have such miraculous hair. Oh boy. Here we go. You know, we're on this nice, serious tip. And He's then got great hair, folks. If you could to, see it, maybe we'll put it on uh, oh, Facebook. Please picture, stop. So. You, I already have a big head. I already have a, I'm already egotistical as it is. Well, we're going to stop the discussion of hair because, you know, the story is that God counts our hair uh, on top of our head. And in my case, he's making his job easier day by day. So we're going to move away. He from was getting that. tired of counting your hair. So he's, yes. he's lessening some of it. I'm right there with you. So moving right along. So we have a big week that week. It ends with. The praying of the rosary, rosary on the 21st at the at the Rosary Crusade at Bombers Stadium here in Bryan. We're, we're installing a first-class relic of St. Anthony on Wednesday the 18th. And right in, the in middle. between those events, we've got our big fundraiser and big community event for the radio station, our sixth annual Brazos Valley Benefit Dinner for Red Sea Catholic Radio. And the theme of it is apropos for the year and for the month. It's Mary, mother of the domestic church. We're honoring Our Lady. We're not worshiping her. No. 
We are honoring and venerating her. her. We're very excited about this benefit dinner because it, folks, we don't come to you as Red Sea Catholic Radio on the air and ask for money. We don't do the pledge drives. Some of our carriers that we are our affiliates, we're affiliates of Red Sea. I'm sorry. We're affiliates of Relevant Radio and affiliates of EWTN. Relevant Radio does their own pledge drive. You've you've heard it. Um, but we do not here at Red Sea Catholic Radio ask for the money on the air. But we do have this uh, once a year benefit here in each of our areas. Waco, we've got some nice news coming your way for April, but uh, we'll set that one aside. But for now, October 19th, the wonderful Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who will be our guest today on the show, uh, he's going to give you a sneak preview of what we're going to uh, hear from him Coming up in October, on October 19th, we need your support, we need your uh, prayers, and we need your attendance. So if you have not signed up for an individual set of tickets, they are $25 each, or if you want to get a table and uh, help support Red Sea Catholic Radio even more, you can get a table starting at the level of $500 and on up. We have not yet had a $5,000 table donor uh, at that level. So we would love to have someone step up or an organization step up to have that uh, that table level sold and it will be there available online for you to reserve that spots, uh, those spots or that, that table now at redseacatholicradio.org or redseeradio.org forward slash benefit. And if you're listening to our show, and you have not been to one of the benefit dinners, I urge you, get a ticket. Come see what's going on, uh, especially so often we enjoy something and we don't realize that there is a cost involved in what mm-hmm. we're enjoying. And so we can't be on the air if there's no money. Uh, this is a fact of life in our world today. Everything costs something. You pay utilities, you pay salaries, you pay um internet usage you pay for all these things and taxes taxes (laughs) and so ultimately you know we have a benefit dinner to help bring in money to pay those bills yes and so if you enjoy the radio programs uh if you like the diversity of our program because we're not just ewtn we're not just relevant radio we also have local shows like this one like this one indeed and so if you enjoy that Get a ticket to the benefit dinner. Do your part, and you get a free meal. In yeah, because you're paying twenty five dollars to the, uh, keep the radio on the air. Yeah, the meal, the, then in that way, the meal's free. The presentation <laughs> alone is priceless. Get- <laughs> but you know what? The the thing is, is that I've heard from so many people that have said that they love coming to our benefit dinner. It's it's enjoyable in itself. It's not a constant ask for money. You know, we know why we're there. We're there to hear the great word of God through the dynamic Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. It's going to be a great meal. We're going to have a nice uh, half an hour as, as we start the event to visit and network with your Catholic friends from around our area. We're going to have some several choices of wine and beer available. Uh, We can do that. You know, it's great. It's, it's a, very enjoyable evening. We keep the evening moving along. It's family before, friendly. Yeah. Before you know it, it's over and people are like, oh, I want to hear more. And so um, it's an it's a anticipated event for many a people and they, they look forward to our benefit every year. It's not just a, well, I've got to go to the benefit again and support Red Sea Catholic Radio. You get something out of it, folks. You really do enjoy your time there. And we, we keep it loose and we keep it fun and we keep it hopping. 
And you get to meet a whole bunch of people that have the same interests as you do, and you get a chance to talk what they like about the radio station and what you like about the radio station. We've got and, some great things to unveil as well. Some, yes. some wonderful things have happened. And I was just thinking about that this morning. Where we've come in the last year, it's just like, okay, yeah, that's that's why my hair is falling out, as you were mentioning. It's why, that's why we've been just looking back going, wow, what a whirlwind of a year it has been. And we, we're really looking forward to sharing with you what this last year has been and where we're going, because it's it's pretty amazing with God's grace, the places and the things that he has us doing. Yeah. And we want to remind the people here in the Brazos Valley and Bryan College Station and the surrounding communities that when we talk about our stations in Waco and Palestine, those are in part possible because of the commitment of faith and financial support that you have made over the years to be the foundation, yes. to be the rock of the Red Sea Network. And that's what's enabled us to go out and plant these other stations in these other communities with and get those other communities on board to to support and ramp up keeping their own radio stations on on the air. But your continued support and your continued confidence and trust in what we do is is critical. Yeah, it keeps the bedrock going. And, and Palestine and Waco areas, you know, y'all have been stepping up to help support those stations there. And so we continually want that to happen. But we're looking right now at helping to support the foundation, which is right here in Bryan College Station, which is something very we're honored to do. But I think... You know, the, the timing of that week, that, that, that week right in smack in the middle of October, just several days, six days after the last, the centenary of the last apparition uh, at Fatima, the miracle of the sun. And we're going to be having Deacon Harold come in, who has a great devotion to Our Lady. He's going to be speaking about the rosary, the role of the rosary and Our Lady in bringing unity and peace in our families. And that's going to be um, sort of pushing our community into that great rosary crusade on Saturday. So I think the way everything is lining up is, is a wonderful evidence of God's providence. And I'm very, very excited to have him speak to us on October 19th at St. Thomas Aquinas at 6.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. to 9.00. Yes. So go online, redcradio.org. That's red, the letter C, radio.org. Click on Deacon Harold's beautiful face there on our our, uh, our page, or you can just click on or write forward slash benefit, but you'll see Deacon Harold Burke Sivers there and uh, click on his face and it'll lead to all the wonderful things that you can uh, do by supporting Red Sea Catholic Radio at our benefit. So we're going to wrap it up now and go to break. We'll be right back with Deacon Harold Berg Sivers on the other side. See you then.
are back. This is the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais, and I would like to welcome the dynamic Deacon Harold Burke Sivers to the show. Good morning, Deacon. Good morning, guys. How are you doing today? We are doing well. How are you? I am just fine. What part of the country are you in today? Well, but believe it or not, I'm actually home in Portland, uh, Oregon. Wonderful. And, uh, fall is definitely kicking in. It's uh, quite chilly this morning here, and uh, you know it's, we had a we had a very dry summer, but now the cool weather's kicking in. The rain is coming back, and uh, things are kind of getting back to normal now. Well, the sad thing is for us, normal was an 80 degree temperature this morning when I went out to get the paper. So, <laughs> well, that's Texas for you. Oh yes. Um, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with uh, you, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I uh, originally from Barbados. Uh, my family immigrated to the United States when I was about uh, three years old. I grew up in the state of New Jersey. Became a citizen when I was seventeen. Um, I'm the first baptized Catholic in the history of my family. My father uh, was not a man of faith uh, until much, much later in his life. My mother was a Methodist who converted to the Catholic faith. I'm the oldest of their four children, and uh, so therefore I'm the first baptized Catholic. Uh, went to Catholic schools um, all, all, just about all of my life, from the fourth grade all the way through graduate school. Became the first person in my family ever to go to college and uh, was blessed enough to be able to get an academic scholarship to Notre Dame. Graduated from there and joined, uh, worked for a year, then joined the monastery, uh, the Benedictines back in New Jersey. And I thought, okay, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. But my parents were divorced. My mom got sick and I had to leave the monastery to take care of her and my sister. And that's when I met the woman who ended up being my wife. I met her at a wedding. And uh, she's from Oregon. So that's how I got out here, because our conversation went, where are we going to live, Portland or Newark? And uh, I had no comeback, so we're in, <laughs> we're in Portland. Uh, discerned a, a call to the diaconate and was uh, ordained uh, November 23rd, 2002. So this November will be uh, 15 years. I've been a deacon. I was formerly in campus law enforcement, and um, six years ago left that whole field behind and started speaking and writing full-time. I'd been doing some part-time speaking prior to that, but left everything uh, to, to follow the call that, that the Lord had for me. And I've uh, been um, traveling around the world and have six television series on EWTN. My first series now just started airing uh, on Shalom World Television. I've got two uh, books. Um, one's a bestseller from... Uh, Ignatius Press, Behold the Man, and then the book that just came out August 8th called Ignite that I co-wrote with uh, Sonia Corbett, who's a phenomenal speaker, a former Baptist preacher who became Catholic. And uh, we, we co-wrote this book together, and it's doing it very, very well uh, so far. So, uh, yeah, God, God is good, guys. One question I had, how much would you say your education in the Catholic uh, schools pointed you toward a uh, vocation? 
Well, that, that's a great question. Um, you know what? I, to, to be honest, I don't think it was so much the education because I was uh, grew up back in the 70s with that all kind of wacky stuff after Vatican II, you know, that kumbaya stuff. Oh, yes. But it was really, it was more the people. For, for example, my, my fifth grade teacher, Sister Mary Keller, never forget her. You know, I, she was going to do a Lenten program. And um, she was telling us, I remember this. I mean, I was like 10 or something. She was telling us about it in class. And I remember getting excited about, oh, wow, that sounds like this is going to be really cool. And, you know, she said, how many of you want to be involved in this after school kind of Lenten thing? And I went to raise my hand, but only the girls raised their hand. You know, I, gosh, I put my hand down. So I don't want to do what the, you know, what the girls do, mm-hmm. you know, in fifth grade. But she found a way to have me participate in the class without any loss of dignity for, for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be called like a sister or something by the other guys. So, but she found a way to make that happen. You know, here's, here's someone who saw something in me um, and, uh, and really encouraged that, you know, and, and my mother, of course, my mom was a uh, very devout Catholic. Uh, she saw that, um, that I, that I enjoyed going to mass even as a child. So she encouraged me to be an altar server and get involved in, um, you know, the, the youth group and different things. And so she was a very, very strong and, uh, an influential, um, uh, catalyst in my life. Um, and of course the Benedictines going to a Benedictine high school, St. Benedict's prep in Newark, New Jersey, which was actually just featured not long ago on 60 minutes for the work they're doing with inner city kids. Um, helping many of those kids go to top schools in the country who never would have had that opportunity otherwise. You know, so I've been really blessed with incredible Catholic people and influences. And uh, yeah, I think the, I think the education piece is maybe, I think from high school um, on would have been where I really received the, uh, uh, you know, the, the education as far as, the, you know, being starting to be steeped in the faith. But I, I'd say it was really the people in my life. Um, and uh, their example and their witness that really got my heart on fire for the faith. And that reaffirms what we so often hear that, you know, you have to be a witness first before you teach anyone anything uh, about the faith. Yeah, if you're yeah, not a witness. Exactly right. And, well, and, and, you know, and, and the, the, the word, uh, you know, witness is uh, martyroi in, in Greek. So that doesn't get the word martyr from. And so, you know, it's not just physically dying, but dying to yourself. And sometimes that means going outside of yourself to talk to somebody about Jesus, talk to somebody about the power of God's love in and through Jesus Christ. Because we're we're not really good. We're getting better, but that's really something that so many Catholics are uncomfortable with. You know, you have many other, uh, you know, uh, religious traditions where they're not afraid to go out and talk to people about their faith. You know, I'm not talking about proselytizing. I'm just talking about not being afraid to tell someone, you know, how much Jesus loves them. I meet people all over the world, and I meet so many people who honestly don't know how much Jesus loves them. And our responsibility as Catholics, once we receive Jesus in word and in sacrament, twice we receive him in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The, The word is broken, open, and fed to us, and then Christ himself is broken and given to us, body, blood, soul, divinity, the Eucharist. Filled with that grace, word, and sacrament, our job is to go out, to leave the church, and be Eucharist to the world. And often we have to to remember that, that many times, 
someone may be seeing Jesus Christ or meeting Jesus Christ for the first time in their life in and through us, our example, our witness, our dying to self, our um, love of God may be the first time they ever encounter Jesus Christ. And it's through us that we bring them into deeper intimacy uh, with the Lord. But that witnessing also happens in the parish. What type of ministries as a deacon are you involved in at your home parish in addition to all the other stuff you do? Well, that's that's a good question. So I'm a little bit of an, an anomaly um, in the sense that in our archdiocese, uh, when de- permanent deacons are ordained, of course, you get assigned to a parish, but also to an apostolate. So, for example, um, there's deacon, there's a deacon assigned to a parish and to a high school to help out uh, with the chaplaincy with the priest there at the high school. There's a deacon that's ordained or assigned to a parish, and he's assigned to Catholic charities. Uh, there's a deacon that's assigned to a parish, and he's assigned to uh, Rachel's Vineyard to help men that have struggled with uh, participating in abortions in the past. So, uh, and they have ministry agreements with the, with the parishes that kind of outlines what the expectations are, um, you know, for working in the parish. So I was released from my um, responsibilities at the parish so that I could be free to be able to travel and speak and to write. So basically what I do is uh, when I, whenever I'm in town, I, I give homilies in the parish. Um, so that's really basically it. And every once in a while, I help out with, um, uh, with this confirmation or something like that. But, but most of my time is spent uh, traveling and, and speaking. So I'm, again, not like a lot of deacons, I'm not really in the parish all that much uh, anymore. So, but, the, but the bishop is very supportive. All the, the folks in my parish that I'm assigned to, are very, very encouraging and very supportive. So I'm grateful to God for that. And I can imagine that you're a big hit when you do come in to teach confirmation classes or an RCIA class and people get to listen to the dynamic deacon in their own parish. Well, the embarrassing thing is that our parish uses Chosen, which is a confirmation program by Ascension Press and I'm featured on there. So, So it's like, hey, wait a minute. You're that guy that's on the on the videos. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's a little bit embarrassing, but uh, yeah. So I'm not there when my segments are shown, but you know, because there, our parish is very small. It's a small inner city parish, probably 110 families. So we don't need two deacons, but mm-hmm. there is a sec. There is another deacon assigned there who who has taken over my responsibilities that, that I used to have because uh, I did um, marriage preparation. Um, I would train altar servers and lectors which I still do um, occasionally. Um, I was uh, doing hospital visits and visits to um, the, the homebound. Um, I was doing uh, um, uh, confirmation uh, and also helping out with RCIA and Bible study as well. So, yeah, so I had quite a few things that I was doing that the other deacon is, is taking over now, but, um, but uh, I am going to be helping out a little bit with confirmation uh, this year. Um, so yeah, so it's, uh, you know, but, but the thing is, the thing is this, I mean, you know, deacons aren't supposed to be stuck in parishes. <laughs> I think, um, we, we're still in diapers as far as the, the, what the potential the deacon could be doing in the life of the church. 
um, because, you know, we're, deacons are ministers of evangelization. And if you look at the, the history of, of evangelization, how the word was used, for the Greeks, for example, back in the um, 8th century B.C., Homer used the word evangelion in Greek um, to pronounce good news with regard to uh, victories in battle. You know, they talk about, yes, we, here's the Evangelion regarding the battle we just won or whatever. But if you look a couple of centuries later, like the 6th century B.C., if you look at how the Romans used the word Evangelium, which is, of course, that's where evangelization comes from, it didn't just mean good news because it was something that the emperor pronounced. Um, and it wasn't just the emperor was pronouncing good news. The emperor was pronouncing life-changing news. See, life-changing news, not just good news, but life-changing news. And so that's what the deacons, for example, Stephen, the martyr, the, the, the first martyr of the church was a deacon, and he was not in a parish when he was killed. He was out preaching. Stephen, uh, not Stephen, uh, Philip, uh, the, who helped convert the Ethiopian eunuch that we read in Acts of the Apostles, that was Philip the deacon, not Philip the apostle. Um, so he was out preaching um, and, and helped bring people to Christ. And that's, that's what we need to be doing as deacons as well. Yes, we need to, to, to help out in the parish, but we also need to be out in the world bringing that life-changing news to people so that they can be brought back to the sacraments and be brought back to the, the people that are broken, people that are hurting, people that never heard of Jesus, people that may have been hurt by the church when they were younger, people who left the church because they really don't know what the church teaches about anything, people who are confused. We need to bring that life-changing news to them to help bring them back to the priest and back to the sacraments of Holy Mother Church. I remember when I was going through formation and one of the comments was made that the priest is the shepherd of the parish and the deacon's the sheepdog that goes out and herds up the straying sheep. That, that's an excellent way of putting it. I have to use that example myself. That, that, that we're the sheepdogs. And that's, that's exactly right. The, the way I think about it too is like the story of the uh, paralytic on the stretcher, you know, uh, where they're, they're trying to get that guy to Jesus and they can't because there's too many people at the front door. So they cut a hole in the roof and lower him down to Jesus. And I see the deacons as the guys carrying the stretcher, you know, bringing the people that are broken, that are hurting and bringing them back to Jesus, back to the priest who is in persona Christi in the person of Christ. Uh, and, and so I definitely see our role as, as going out there and bringing people uh, to the, and really showing them and witnessing to them the love of the Lord so they can have deeper intimacy with him in and through the sacramental life of the church. And that goes back to the whole notion of being witnesses. In a way, you might say that as a deacon, you're called to witness to the future witnesses, to let people see that it is possible for a Catholic to evangelize their faith with confidence. Exactly. You know, and like I'm talking about what we're talking about here, Deacon, we're talking about simple things. For example, you know, typically I don't wear clerics, you know, t permanent deacons typically when we're walking around on a, on a daily basis, you know, doing our everyday stuff. We don't wear clerics like the priests do with the collar. But, so I wear regular clothes, but I do wear a crucifix. Uh, everywhere I go, because I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of my faith. And, and when you travel as much as I do, this year will be about 185,000 miles by the time we get to December. Um, I wear that, and so I'm on planes all the time and airports all the time. And sometimes you get people walk up to you, 
you know, say, oh, that's a nice cross. As soon as they say cross, which is very nice, and, you know, I'm glad that, that people recognize that, but, but you know they're not Catholic because they didn't say crucifix. And so, you know, that starts some conversations or on the plane, you know, I'll be, I'll be praying the office and I still use the breviary. And of course, people don't know it's a breviary. They think it's a Bible when they see how thick it is and they see all the ribbons in it. And so sometimes people come, hey, can, can, can you say a prayer for me? I'm like, absolutely, I will. You know, that, that's the witness. That's the wit- simple things like that can be a witness or praying the rosary in the airport or something like that. You know, that's a witness. That's a sign. Um, you know, that someone may see that and say, wow, you know, maybe I need to be doing something for my faith. Oh, wow. You know, I need, gosh, I haven't gotten a confession in a while. Maybe that, you know, you never know how God will use something simple like that as a catalyst in someone's heart to uh, bring them uh, to deeper union uh, with, with Jesus and with the church. Very good. You give a lot of talks. What are some of the most important topics in your mind that need to be brought up, especially in the culture today? When you go out and you decide what to speak on, what do you think takes precedence in our culture today that really needs to be brought out? Wow, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Well, the thing is, you know, a lot of people, um, when they contact me, I think one thing about what I do that's fairly unique is that I'm a generalist. So um, I don't just focus on one topic. So, for example, you know, Jason and Kristalina Everett, you know, they, they talk about chastity. That's kind of the main thing that they talk about on a regular basis. Or Christopher West talks about theology of the body. That's like his main thing that he's known for and what he talks about. Me, um, I talk about a lot of different things. So I, I have topics in matters of family life and men's spirituality in the sacraments. I have like talks on individual talks on the sacraments. Uh, I talk about atheism. I talk about uh, uh, God's mercy, divine mercy. I talk about uh, the creed. I kind of break the creed down, explain that. I talk about Father Augustus Tolton, the first black priest in the United States. I talk about apologetics, evangelization, all kinds of things. And the thing I'm being asked to speak on lately, especially this year, most of the time, is issues of marriage and family life. Uh, and of course, I, sp- I do a lot of the men's conferences and stuff too, but um, obviously during Lent, I do a lot of talks on, um, on Lenten types of themes, sin and forgiveness and mercy um, and, and that kind of thing. But lately, you know, I've been, been, asking, uh, been asked to speak a lot about issues in marriage and family life. Um, and I talk about the Blessed Mother and the Rosary. But, you know, this this culture today, is, uh, there's a lot of confusion, um, even, quite frankly, within the church about some of its teachings. And so uh, we need to give clear, unambiguous responses to people's uh, serious questions about things that the church teaches and what the church doesn't teach. But most importantly, why? The church teaches what it does. So, for example, for example, so many young people today will say things like mass is boring. And why do they think mass is boring? Because they don't know why they're there. They're there because their mommy and daddy make them go, which is fine when you're five. But when you're 15 and 16, you need, you know, just, okay, let's go to church. This is what we do. Why do you have to go to church? 
well, that we just have to go to church because you're going to go to hell if you don't go to church. Well, the fact is you can go to Mass every Sunday and still go to hell. Just showing up and punching the clock every Sunday is not going to do it. These kids need to see that for them, there's a disconnect between their faith and their everyday lived experience. It's not good enough just to tell them to go to church. They need to know why. They need reasons. They need to know what anything at that altar has to do with their everyday lived experience. What does any of this mass stuff have to do with me? That's what they need to know. They don't need fluff. They don't need puff. They don't need watered down. They need the richness and beauty and truth of our Catholic faith. But they need to explain to them in a way that connects their life to what's going on at that altar. Um, so, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, I was uh, speaking um, at a high school in Pennsylvania. Now, I wasn't supposed to be speaking at the high school. I was there for a parish mission. But the principal heard I was coming and said, hey, can you do a talk for the school kids? I said, sure. And so he canceled classes for the morning and called a special assembly so the kids can hear me speak. And, of course, the kids were thrilled to get out of class that morning. And there's, you know, 800 kids in an auditorium. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the principal didn't ask me what I was going to speak on. He just left it up to me. So that he's about to, you know, announce me, you know, I'm about to walk out there. He goes, what are you going to talk about? I said, the holy sacrifice of the mass. And he, and his face just dropped. Like he goes, he goes, really? I said, yeah. And his face looked like, oh man, I just made a big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I, and I said, trust me. So he introduces me, I get out there and and he he says, the deacon is going to talk to us about the holy sacrifice of the mass. And literally, you heard, oh, oh, the kids started groaning like, oh, I'd rather be in physics than to listen to this. But in 90 minutes later, there were a line of kids lined up around the auditorium to thank me for coming. And this is no joke. 300 kids followed my Twitter feed after that talk. 300. I got emails from parents. What did you say to my kid? We're going to Mass now. He's explaining what this means and what that means and how this is connected to this. He goes, I've been Catholic all my life. I haven't heard that. You know? So, I mean, this is the kind of things we need to be doing and connecting people, not watering it down, not giving them some kind of shallow faith, not just filling it with praise and worship and hoping that sticks in their hearts. Giving them the solid meat, the solid food of the faith, and connecting that to their everyday life. Those are, that's, the, I think, the tragedy. We're not doing that. You know, I I have kids that tell me, Deacon, I want to hear the truth, and we're not hearing it. Uh, I have kids that that have dropped out of youth group because all they do is eat pizza and and play games. And kids want answers. There's some serious things going on in the world today. You know, they're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to this transgenderism stuff where guys can be girls and girls can be guys and euthanizing people. They're, like, mixing human DNA with monkey DNA. I mean, all this stuff is going on, and they need answers from the church. They, they, they don't need homies where they just tell, well, Jesus loves you. Just, just hold hands during the Our Father. Let's just all be nice. They, they don't need that. They want to hear, they need truth. The truth that Jesus says will set them free. And that's, what they, that's what they want to hear. That's what their hearts are craving for. That's what they need to hear. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do, to connect the faith to, to, to people's everyday life. One of the questions I had is... So much you were talking about reaching the kids, but I think part of the issue, wouldn't you say, is also reaching the parents because ultimately most of the kids, if they don't have a driver's license, need the parents to get them to mass. 
And so often, yeah, yeah. Here, here, here's the thing. You know what happens now is the parents. See, the kids can learn all the faith they want. They they can learn. They can go to youth group. They can go to um, confirmation class. You can do all that stuff. But if they don't see the faith being lived out, then it means nothing to them. So they can learn all the stuff, but if they don't see, if they don't pray at home, if the parents aren't witnessing the faith with and for them, um, then, then for the kids, it just becomes just another exercise. They, they learn the faith like they learn a subject in school, math, English, science, language, arts, religion class. It just becomes enough if they don't see that witness of the home. So when the parents, uh, and, and, John, and St. John Paul II got it right, you know, the, the family is a domestic church, the church of the home. And if that is not being, if they're just dropping the kids off at confirmation and going out for a drink, or if they're not going to mass, oh, no, the game is on, you know, honey, you take them. I'll just sit here and watch the football game. If that kind of stuff is going on, then it's no wonder the kids leave the church. They don't have a witness. They don't have an example. So what I think parishes should be doing is when the kids are going through faith formation, whether that be First Communion or Confirmation or whatever it is, there should be a parallel program for parents so that the parents are also being evangelized and learning their faith so that they can go home and share that faith together as a family. Um, and so, yeah, so when I talk about family life, I talk, I, 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 uh, that's the kind of things I talk about, um, especially with challenges to family life, with the busyness and, and maybe two parents working and how do you keep everything going? Those are the kinds of things that I talk about when I, when I address issues within the family. And that's one of the challenges. I know I'm the director of religious education at our parish, and we have recommended that all parents with children in our religious education program are in some way active in the parish. And we do offer, you know, a monthly faith formation class for the adults. But convincing them to show up is... A challenge sometimes. Well, sometimes you got to put the foot down and say, you will come. If you want your child to be disciples, you need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for example, if you, if you said, um, if you come to it, we'll give you free tickets to the football game. They'll show up. <laughs> you know, but if, but if you say, you know, if you come, you, you know, this may help lead your family to eternal life. Uh, well, yeah, you know, maybe another thing. You see, the, the, the priorities are wrong. Um, you know, the, 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 the priority should be God comes first, then family, and then everything else after that. And because they're not properly catechized, they're not really steeped in the faith, um, you know, their, their, their priorities are wrong. And so sometimes the church needs to step in and say, you know, this is, you know, this is why it's important that you need to come to this. Um, and this is why, you know, sometimes you, you have to come to this. You know, it, it, the, the family is the domestic church, the church of the home. This is the first place where your children learn to fall in love with Jesus. And when they learn to fall in because we can teach them about Jesus, but we can't teach them to fall in love with Jesus. They have to do that at home. And so the more that the family is formed and learn their faith, the more they can live that faith at home, the more the children will see how God's love is lived out in the home. Think about it. God could have found any way that he wanted to bring salvation into the world, but he did it through a family. He, he made sure that Jesus had a, a male figure, a father figure, uh, a father in the home. And that, of course, was Joseph. It was that important to God. He could have raised, Mary could have raised Jesus by herself with God's help. No, the, he, that, yes, no doubt. But God saw it fit 
to have a father in that home because he realized how important it is to have that nuclear family together, even when it came to raising his son. So um, that's the model that we have to emulate today. And, and that should be first above everything else if we're serious about getting our, about leading our families to heaven. But that's why I work a lot with men. You know, there are men that don't know about how to lead their families because they were poorly formed themselves. Maybe they have issues growing up in their own families. We have to, to push through that to get them to understand that uh, people, that our, that our actions and our decisions have eternal consequences. And that's something they need to really understand if, if we're going to be serious about uh, living our Catholic faith. Well put. You brought up the Holy Family and the theme for our benefit dinner is going to be uh, Mary, the mother of the domestic church. Why do we emphasize the Blessed Virgin Mary so much in our Catholic identity? Well, Mary is the perfect example of what it means to be human, to, to follow God's will perfectly. Here is someone that God chose to be a vehicle to bring salvation into the world. And, he, and this was planned right from the beginning. If you look in Genesis 3.15, that verse is often called the Proto-Evangelium or the first gospel. It's when, it was when God says to Satan, uh, the, the snake, well, the Nahash, actually in Hebrew, Nahash doesn't mean snake. It literally means like a monster, like a serpent. It's, it's used like in Leviticus and other places for Leviathan you know, the kind of a dragon or a monster. And um, he says that I will put enmity, that means complete and perfect opposition, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, you would think that that woman he's talking about is Eve, because there's only one woman. There's only one man and only one woman at this point. But that woman is not Eve. Um, and one of the ways we can tell is that he says between your seed and her seed. Now, the man provides the seed in the relationship, typically. And we know that can't be Eve because in uh, Genesis 4, verse 1, it says that Adam knew, and it's Yahudah in Hebrew, that means to um, experience something in order to know it deeply and intimately. So and that's the word they use for sexual intercourse. So he knew his wife, Eve, and they conceived Cain, Abel, Seth, and, and so forth. So Eve received her seed from her husband, Adam. That's, that's very clear in the Bible. But it says in that verse, her seed. There's only one woman that provided a complete human nature for her child, and that is the Blessed Virgin Mary, who's also called the woman. Jesus calls her the woman at the wedding feast of Cana, which was not, it sounds disrespectful when she goes, you know, they, they ran out of wine, you know, and she's embarrassed for them because hospitality is a huge thing in, in Middle Eastern culture. And Jesus says, well, what is, this, what is this between me and thee? You know, what is this between you and me? Basically, he says, so what? You know, because it has nothing to do with us. Um, and he says, well, he calls her woman. And he calls her woman um, because the Blessed Mother asked him to do something supernatural. And so he referred to her by her supernatural name, the same name that she's called in Revelation 12, verse 1 the woman with the, the 12 stars around her head and clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, who gave birth uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the lamb and that, you know, that whole thing. So that's definitely Mary that's being talked about there. So right from the beginning, God set in motion a plan for our salvation using the family and using the woman. Since Satan 
uh, tempted the woman and as a vehicle to bring sin into the world while her husband stood by and did nothing. Um, God chose a woman to bring salvation into the world while her husband served, protected, and defended her. That's what St. Joseph's job was. So the Blessed Virgin Mary for us is is uh, the uh, perfect example of what it means to be human, what it means to can give ourselves totally, completely over to God's will and, and perfect love. And so that's what we try to strive for. That's what all the saints try to strive for. And no one did it better than the Blessed Virgin Mary. So you're right. In your earlier conversation, you were talking about we we um, we we give Mary honor and we venerate her, but we don't worship her. And you know the church is very very clear about that. Mary's not God. <laughs> Mary's a human being like us, but she embodies within herself all the qualities of humanity that that uh, that that we need to, in order to have that that kind of relationship with God that He died for. You know to bring us into into deep intimacy with our Lord. And so when we're praying the rosary, for example, we're not just, we're not praying to Mary, we're praying through Mary, um, through, through her intercession and her prayers. So what we're doing is we're basically reflecting on the mysteries of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and so, of course, most of the rosary actually is, is the, from Scripture anyway. <laughs> I mean, each of the... the, the um, uh, the, the meditations that we, um, each of the mysteries that we meditate on are biblical realities, are biblical um, uh, things in the life of Jesus. Uh, and, then, and then at the end, of course, um, uh, with the glorious mysteries, with the assumption and the coronation, you know, that we can show that from, from the Bible as well. Um, uh, so we're meditating on those mysteries through, through the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and it's mostly all straight from the Bible. The Hail Mary, the first part is from the Bible. The Our Father is from the Bible. So we're just we're, we're using biblical realities to meditate on how we bring our lives into deeper union with Christ and His Church. That's what it is, and it's a and it's a weapon. I mean, Saint Louis de Montfort called it a weapon. Padre Pio called it a weapon because we're soldiers in the army of Mary, as, as Saint Louis de Montfort put it. And uh, with everything going on in the world today, and that that tragic. A shooting in Las Vegas, you know, just most most recently now, um, you know, we need to be praying the rosary more than ever before to to ask the Mary and the saints to intercede uh, with to add our prayers to theirs for for, for the brokenness and and for the the hurt that's the hurting that's going on in, in our in our country and in our world today. We're gonna have to wrap this up. Uh, we didn't even get to your book. And uh, this is remind everyone that uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers will be the keynote speaker at our benefit uh, on October 19th. And um, we want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Next week, Gene Wilhelm will be your host for the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when calculating the many ways you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. <laughs>